she definitely developed an eye for what to look for. And you do the same thing with Amazon, where I'm learning like niche by niche, and because I sell a lot of different things, uh, and you just you develop that eye when you see it, you know it's an instant buy or that it has potential. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Hey, wanted to take a second and talk about Gay Lisby and Gary Ray's Amazon Seller Tribe and their daily lists that are put out. Um, and incredible stories that you can read if you go out and check out uh, amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage. I know that's a lot to put in there. Amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum dash arbitron. And you're going to get 14 day free trial. No money risk, no, no challenges. You don't want it when you're done, you get out. But imagine getting a list, um, as Craig fellows like to call it mailbox money. I love that term mailbox money. It's where you can work from your house, buy things online, have them delivered to you and then sell them on uh, various marketplaces. But imagine you can have somebody else do that for you. So you want to buy time, you want to control uh, what they're buying. Well, you take these lists and you can join multiple lists if you're interested. And then you can segregate them for the merchandise you want and send them to them. They can make purchases for you on your behalf, have it delivered to you or delivered to them for prep. Boom, sent into these marketplaces and you can sell. How about that? Wouldn't that be awesome? I spoke at their conference and there were so many million dollar sellers just using online arbitrage. It's still available. And again, 14 days. The only way you're going to get 14 day free trials. If you come through my link, um, it is an affiliate link. Um, they do pay me, so I don't want to mislead you in any way. Um, I would appreciate it, but I'd like to see you try the 14 days. I've had so many people that have joined, have so much success. It's very exciting to me and you know, quite humbling to me. Um, that they trust me to recommend this group. And I 100% recommend this group. I've seen the results. These are great people that will also teach you to fish. This isn't just a, hey, here's a list, you're on your own. No, this is, hey, here's why that wasn't a good deal. Or here, hey, there's another opportunity. And you get to join their groups. And it's just a phenomenal group of people. Um, just great, great uh, leaders in that group. And these lists are phenomenal. So again, it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum hyphen arbitrage. Use that. Get two weeks free. Try it. You don't like it? Drop out. But give it a shot if you want to add that to your business. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 395, Alan Walker. Very, very cool uh, story. Um, and we never even got all the way into his store. I mean, incredible success selling shoes on eBay. And now um, he's, you know, just killing it on Amazon. But a lot of this talk is about mindset and how important mindset is because Alan and I seem to be kindred spirits. Um, and maybe a whole bunch of you are too with the negative thoughts. And um, he mentioned a book and I'm getting ready to download it next, uh, Mindset. Um, and it's talking about fixed mindset or growth mindset. And I'm definitely a fixed mindset person. And a lot of it is my training and my limited, you know, I'm suspicious of everything, hard to let people in. And so a lot of that talk 
comes out in this uh, conversation. Um, and man, for him to be so self-aware at his age just sets him up for such an incredible future and more importantly, an opportunity to change other people's lives by opening up and being willing and being vulnerable to say, hey, I don't have it all figured out either. Um, because most people you think do, don't. So there's my deep thought on that. Let's get into the podcast. And welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. Very excited about today's guest because in dog years, he's 140 some odd years as a seller. Um, to me, he's so, so experienced yet. And Kelly Loach would like to hear, I have socks older than him. Alan Walker. Welcome, Alan. Thanks, Steve. It's nice to be here. Funny story about the socks. I probably told this before, but... Um, Kelly, one day we're together and he says, hey, did you like the socks I sent you? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, I sent you socks. I'm like, uh, hey, I sell socks. So I probably thought they were a return. I got cases of socks everywhere in the world in our warehouse. And he said, I was tired of hearing you say on air that you have socks older than these kids. And so I sent you socks and I never caught on it. So it is my line. I like that line. So Yeah, it's funny. Anyway, so you, you are an old dog seller. I mean, it's crazy to me we met and the conversation just blew me away to think of what an early adopter you were. I mean, it, that's weird when you think about it. It is. And I, I'm not like an old dog seller. Like I've been doing this forever. I've only actually been selling as a full-time gig for less than a year, but I have dabbled with eBay since probably fifth grade in my grandma's antique shop. And eBay at scale at some point. I mean, so it, yes. it wasn't just a little bit like, you know, hey, one or two items. Well, let's go back there. Okay, so why, I mean, your grandmother was into antiques or how did she get into that even? Uh, she actually, while my dad was growing up, she was the uh, secretary for the governor of Indianapolis. And the story that I heard is she really liked antiques she started buying them, and then she kind of did what a lot of people do. She she started selling off pieces that she didn't really like and just built up an inventory, and it was like her side hustle from a long time ago. And then it turned into working out of her – when she retired, she worked out of her house, did it full-time out of her house, and eventually opened up an antique shop. And she mostly did sterling silver flatware and hollowware. And it was just something that at some point she was a collector. She was interested oh, in it. Oh, yes. Like you she said, accumulated – volume i mean like yes real uh, volume. It, i think at the peak she had a couple million dollars in inventory are you kidding um, oh my god she was cool huh was she yeah, cool and, i mean when you think oh, about it awesome. think it back she, she was probably the biggest influence in my life wow and i regret not being able to take advantage of because i mean i was you know i was a kid and i didn't appreciate the knowledge that she had and I knew she wanted to teach me a little bit about antiques and sterling silver, but I kind of was like, well, I'll polish it. I'll do the grunt work, but I don't really want to know about it. And I definitely regret that now. Um, I have an aunt, very similar story. Introduced me to computers when I was probably that age. And now think about that. They really didn't exist, but they did, you know, and she was into that world and I didn't adopt it as quick as I could have. And uh, I regret it. Um, and she passed away very young in life. Um, so, polishing silver that was your life uh yeah i did a lot of the menial tasks in the shop i polished silver i swept floors and then eventually i took over her 
So I didn't even know what it was. I was probably fifth grade. She started talking about this thing called eBay and how she was going to teach me how to do, take the pictures, do the listings. And I did all the, you know, I set up the listings. I didn't actually take cash. I remember cash and checks showing up in the mail. That's crazy. And she would ship them all. And I remember the camera that I used. It was a Kodak that took a three and a half inch floppy disk. It was super fancy at the time. Well, eBay started in 1995, September 3rd. And so you're describing around 1998. Yes, it was 98 or 99, I think, when I. That's huge. I mean, to be that early of an adopter. I mean, was she a young grandmother? I mean, what was, why was uh, she so hip? I mean, how did she understand computers at that age? She actually didn't. I set, I set up her computer. My dad has a big computer background. I've, there's always been a computer in our house. I mean, I remember, like, my dad having a Commodore 64 in the house. Um, but I set up her computer in the shop, and she was taught in her, I think, 60s how to use a computer. I mean, she knew how to type because she was a secretary, but she I remember her playing solitaire to become better at using the mouse. <laughs> there's a lesson there, right? I mean, there's somebody who's committed, right, if they're going to do that kind of thing to, to get the control to learn that. There's a lesson there for everybody. So, so she's going to teach you how to use computer. How adaptive were you, like... Because I, I described this in our warehouse. So we have two guys working for us now. One's a college student. The other one just graduated from college. We show them one of these new, you know, either eBay or Amazon or whatever. It's like instant adoption. I'm like, well, you got to know. They've already figured it all out. It's like there's no learning curve like my age would have had. So I assume she would have had a pretty large learning curve. Did you surpass her very quickly? Not as a, in a negative way, but I mean just in knowledge? Uh at that age, I just kind of did what I was told. Okay. I, I, I mean, I knew about the listings and, take, and the, taking the pictures, but any of the back-end stuff like payments or shipping, I didn't do any of that. that. The shipping was palmed off on my grandpa. That was like his deal. He went to the post office almost every day. So that was kind of a routine. All right, so you're listing, I guess, silverware on eBay generally? Yes, it was uh, silverware and really expensive hollowware. I what, remember what's it what what's the second thing? Hollowware, it's like uh tea, you know, the tea kettles, anything that has a hollow body to it. Oh, see I know um, that term. That's cool. I didn't hear that term before. And I, so she had the hustle back in the day. The the one story that I remember is she found this rare sterling silver set. It was huge. It was hundreds of pieces. It was plates, it was bowls, goblets, everything. And it was the most expensive thing she ever bought. She paid $50,000 for it. Holy smokes. And she split it up and sold it piece by piece. And I think the last number I heard was around $150,000. No kidding. I mean, I wonder what that's worth today. I mean, the equivalent, you know. No idea. Now, how did she find the things to buy? Do you remember? Um, she went to a lot of shows. She did – the antique dealers would do all these huge antique shows when I was growing up. I mean she would take me to these shows, and I would work usually Cincinnati and Cleveland with her. But she went all down the East Coast, all the way down to Florida usually with the shows. And then she – because she was so specialized, she would go through a show and only look for those couple things, correct? She she mostly did – the sterling silver, but she also did antique furniture and antique um, 
porcelain and things like that. But it was it's kind of like the Amazon world. She'd go to these shows. She had lots of antique dealer friends. They all kind of knew what each other wanted. So they would let each other know, hey, I saw this. You should go check it out. And it's the, I mean, it's the basic thing. She had that knowledge base of, ooh, I see this. It's low enough to make a margin. And it just went from there. And, and her being the expert, people knew that to bring stuff to her for some kind of they, – they're going to get the fairest price, correct? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And when she set up her shop, she would have people come into her shop and want to sell things to her directly. Is there – you mentioned the similarities to Amazon. How, do, how would you use that same example in Amazon – in your current Amazon business um, – you know, is there are the relationships or explain that? Uh, first, probably developing an eye. Uh, she definitely developed an eye for what to look for, and you do the same thing with Amazon, where I'm learning like niche by niche, and because I sell a lot of different things, uh, and you just you develop that eye when you see it, you know it's an instant buy or that it has potential. How, how do you do that? I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I don't want to lose that because I, I think you're right. How do you do How long does it take? And then are you? how do you know you're at that place where, it, okay, got it, move on to the next one? Just time. And, I mean, with Amazon, it's like cheating. You you can use a scanning app, whether it's Scoutify or – I just converted to ScanPower, which I love. And you scan – like let's say it's um, – coffee makers, something random. Uh, you scan all these coffee makers, you start to realize, ooh, this brand does really well on Amazon. And you just you just add it to your Rolodex of this brand in coffee makers does well. I'm going to scan every single one I see. Or this opposite thing, which I, I kind of have to break this, where I'll have a, also a Rolodex of brands that I really don't scan because they're not worth my time. It's rare to find something. But ran into it more than one occasion during the conference where I was talking to people and I said, I avoid this brand. And they told me, Oh, I do really well with that. (laughs) (laughs) Never fails. Right. And and is, is it, I mean, the lesson there that their eye sees something that you don't see in that particular brand, similar to what you do. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe they just, it's one of those things that they initially had luck with it and they, they found the right things within that brand that work because not everything works. For example, I sell Michael Kors. It's a brand that puts out a lot of stuff. They put out watches. They put out purses. They put out clothing. They put out – I think I've seen towels. Like you just start to realize that 90% of it doesn't do well on Amazon and you start to figure out, ooh, this this category does well or, oh, within this category, only this certain style does well. Well, would this be a fair statement that, and looking back and being honest, you didn't put the time in for that brand? You ran into a little bit of resistance, eh, it's not really good, and you didn't put the time to find that 10%. You, your example, it's 90%, not good, 10% is good. You didn't put the time in to get to that 10%. Is that fair? Yeah, more than likely. Okay. Well, no, that's Steve, too, so I'm just trying to understand why they were able to persevere and push through because they did the time. Okay, and that's a lesson pretty much for anybody listening, right? You've got to go through it all. I mean, I I saw a comment about a Walmart store. Uh, Somebody said there was about 5,000 Walmart stores, and there's only a couple hundred sellers on a particular item, so not that many people are going. 
there are crazy. Somebody told me that they can sell shoes from Walmart, low end quality shoes that Walmart sells. I don't even know what brands they sell. I've never bought a pair of shoes there, but there are people that sell them. See, that's crazy because I love to sell shoes and I've never even scanned Walmart. Shoes. Correct. Me neither. I never, I've never walked. This is really embarrassing. I've never even walked down a shoe aisle at Walmart. I just wouldn't think of it. But, you know, and I was like, huh, people have done the work, right? And maybe they created the listing. Maybe they've done all that work and that's why it works for them. Yeah. I've, going to the conference, I've noticed almost nobody does the same thing. Yeah, I think that's what's so exciting. And the conference we're talking about is the Amazon Seller Tribe conference that just happened a couple weeks ago in Branson, Missouri. Sold out. Will sell out again this year. Um, And when you listen to this episode, you're going to hear about my sponsor. And they are sponsors and they do pay me, so I don't want to ever hide that. Um, But that group puts on this conference and it's opened up to the members of the group way early and first. And here's a little pro tip. Uh, The first people to sign up for it got a private invite to a private party at um, Gay and Colleen's house. Uh, Gay, uh, Colleen, Gary, Andy, myself, Dan, Wentworth, there was, all of us were there. And uh, Perry and Kim, I mean, it was just a great group of people. Um, and it was one-on-one just sitting there having conversation. Imagine sitting next to Brian Freifelter and spending time talking with him and just getting his ear. You know, it's just wonderful experience. So that's a pro tip. If you're in the group and you're one of the first to sign up, maybe she'll do it again. I don't know. I'm not committing her to it, but um, just think about that for next year. It was probably, I mean, it's one of the first RAA-only events or OA that I've been to in a long time. Because it kind of become passe, right? Yeah. I, uh, that was actually my first Amazon conference ever. And I told multiple people that during the conference, and I got the same answer over and over again. Every single one told me, um, you're going to don't expect much out of other conferences. This one is special. It's yeah. completely different. And I had one guy tell me, he was like, I've been to a conference every single month this year, and this is by far the best. That's so cool to hear. I'm going to mention that to Andy, um, just because it keeps them motivated to keep innovating and, and bringing more. And that's what I loved about it. I, I was very fortunate to be a part of it, and I'm, I, I can't wait to do it again because I – the connection, and what I also loved is the venue, where you literally can sit and have a conversation. I mean, we sat and had conversation in the morning before the event, and because it was just so conducive for that, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. I am actually, I'm an introverted person, and I do not get my energy from being social and talking, but I made a point to do that during the whole conference because I met so many awesome people. By the time the conference was over, I was exhausted yeah. <laughs> from talking. Yeah, me too. I talked to I talked to at least 150. I met every single person, but I talked to 150 of them for wow. sure. Yeah. Now, I, that's, I, that's, I, now, see, I do get my energy from that because I get so inspired. I mean, how could you not get inspired? I mean, that's my... Oh, point. I was inspired. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back on your story. I, I don't want to lose this. Um, so... So there's a there's a really good lesson there. You're putting your head down, doing the work, mastering a niche, a brand. I mean, maybe I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Somebody accused me of that. You're mastering Michael Kors, but do you stay in that brand or that niche, or do you stay in that category? Uh, for me, it's it's a combination. I have certain brands that I gravitate towards, but I also have certain categories. And in, in the beginning, 
the only category I was really comfortable with was shoes hmm. because my background was eBay before I went to Amazon and I can't sell Nike or Adidas. It's, and so I had to learn something else. I had, and what I did was I added, like I, I broke it up by sections of stores. Um, like instead of going to the shoe, I mean, there's still some shoes that I can sell, but the, the brands that I knew, uh, weren't an option. So I would go to the next, I might go to the beauty aisle and I started just scanning stuff. I had no clue about makeup. Now I do. And then <laughs> after I had success there, I would add another category. Maybe I went to, you know, betting and I started scanning betting and learning about betting and over months and months and months, you get to the point where you can go to almost every single part of the store and have success and find value. Do you now, at least this is what we do is we typically now look for higher price things, you know, stuff that we can oh, make yes. a better margin on because my experience this is this Steve's experience is it takes just as much time to send a, you know, a $10 pair of socks in as it does to sell, to send in a hundred dollar pair of sneakers. Correct. Yes. I love selling more expensive items. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that until I've, I, I took the opportunity and spent the day with uh, Gary and Joe at their house, and he watched me scan, and he made a comment to me. He was like, you gravitate, gravitate towards those higher-priced items, don't you? And I was like, I don't know. I do it all. <laughs> and then as the day went on, I was like, you're correct. I apparently – gravitate this way but it's also less work yeah well that that that's quite frankly why you're having success right you figured that out and maybe it's a subconscious well, let's go back though because we haven't even gotten to how you got into shoes so you were selling your grandma's silver and and hollow wear new term I, le- I learned and i mean when did did she get to scale on ebay versus her third-party store um i think most of see i don't know all of the details right you're a kid with yeah with the shop i'm pretty sure majority of her sales came from doing antique shows okay and then then her shop and then ebay but it was when ebay was still kind of the wild wild west where i remember it was still auction it was auction only you had to send checks and i think the reason she liked it was because she was getting insane prices. People would bid up the uh, item way past the value. So because there was limited supply, uh, demand clearly demand, she was able to get that. And there wasn't, you know, because it, like you're saying, it was the early days. So there wasn't a glut like there is today of silver. If you go online and look at silver, there'll be, you know, 100,000 listings probably, or maybe I'm exactly yeah, right, but still. there definitely was not that many back then. Okay, so you're doing that. Everything's going well. Did you know you were bit by the entrepreneur bug then, or was it, you know, because I'm sure that you eventually got tried to be put in a box, right? Either by education or something. Yes, that was something that I excelled in. I was always uh, really book smart. It wasn't, it did not take a lot of effort to make good grades in school. And my parents gave me the, you know, go to school, make good grades, go to college, get a good job. And that was, that was what I thought I was supposed to do. I actually had a conversation with Torin at the conference and we were talking about, cause he brought up that he was like, yeah, school came easy and it came easy for me too. And I don't know who said it, but we came to the conclusion that it was a hindrance for us because we never had to put in the work. And 
it was I had to learn that like I went through high school I went through college went through grad school it was it wasn't hard I mean it was harder than I mean it, it came guess, easy for you so you yes. didn't put in the work so they you know because I think this is really powerful. So we're back to that example of how you master a brand, right? You put in the work, right? You scan everything and then realize, knowing that only 10%. If I said to you, look, um, Alan, one out of 10 items that you're going to scan in this brand are going to be worth it. But hey, that's one out of 10. I mean, that means you only have to scan 10 and one of them are going to be good, right? So it's going to be worth the effort. Or if I said to you, man, 90% of that's no good, man. Well, look at that giant pile over there. 90% is no good. You're not willing to do, I mean, that would, that would impede my, I would be like, oh, I'm not wasting my time for 90, if 90% is no good. Um, when you when school, you, you, did you put in just 10% effort and got the results? I mean, is that? Oh, definitely. Hmm. I did. I was in high school. I didn't have to study and make good grades. And then in college, I had to learn to study, but I still put in way less effort. And I was pretty much going for the bare minimum. Is kind of why how, is that? Do you know why? I mean, it, what what leads you there? Do you have you ever thought about it? I I have, and I look back, and uh, it actually is. Uh, there's a book I'm reading right now um, called I think Mindset by Carol Du. Dweck, yes, uh, yeah, by Carol Dweck, and it explains that. It explains a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, and I was oh. definitely a fixed mindset, and it's something that you learn, and the kids, it it talks about, they, they have all this research on, kids were given the same exact test, one group was praised on how smart they were, and one mm. group was praised on how hard they worked. And then they were given a second test that was like two or three grade levels above them. The kids that were praised for being smart, they quit. They It got hard. They quit. And then the kids that were praised about um, how hard they worked, they just grinded through it. And they did significantly better, even though they were roughly the same intelligence as each other. So grinding through it, that sounds – is that, that term sounds terrible. Oh, you got to grind it out. Come on, everybody, Alan, let's grind it out today. You know, that's I see it like, as good now. <laughs> you do. I, do you see it not. like across your whole life? I mean, is that now transferred into all, your whole life? Uh, yeah, it's something I've had to learn. Learning to grind, learning to work hard. It, it, it's, it's not an innate thing for me. Well, how did you learn it? Uh, over time, uh, different things. Um, first, first. I noticed it with when my wife and I first got married. She's an extremely hard worker, and I felt lazy compared to oh, her. Oh, that's, that's funny. And, that's funny. Ooh. And then so marriage, it kind of ticked it up for me, and I had to work harder. Um, and then I started a couple little small businesses on the side after college, and that made me work harder. Having a kid made me work harder. And then going full-time with – Amazon. Well, it was originally eBay and then Amazon. It over the my ability to work has grown leaps and bounds in probably the last five years. And is it is it the effort has grown or the results because you're still putting in the same amount of time, but you make sure that the time you put in is really done well and valuable? Uh, both. Okay, and so it's it, both. It's not always done well or valuable. There's plenty of times that I met, uh, I just mess around, <laughs> but 
it because I taught for eight years before I right. quit my job. No matter the more effort you put into teaching, you don't see a financial bump with with working for yourself, especially Amazon and eBay. You literally see, I worked harder, I put in more work, or I be, you know, I became more efficient. You see it in your bottom line. You know, one of the things, it's funny, I was thinking about this when we had this conversation a few weeks back. Um, I might even mention it. There are quite a few teachers that have been on my show that have really become outliers in this business. And I wonder what it is trait-wise that gives them or seems to give something I've noticed anyway, that there are a bunch of teachers, you know, just seem to notice that. Um, Have you thought about what teaching has done for you? I'm sure there's some negatives, right, that make you got to be successful because you don't want to go back and do it. I'm sure there's some of that. But have you thought about what teaching did for you? Or maybe I guess it's the whole education process. Is that because you just said that you weren't as disciplined effort-wise because it was easy. Yes, um, it's actually one of the things that made me learn how to work harder uh, because my bachelor's degree is not in education, and I had to go get a master's degree to be able to teach, and where I live, while you're getting your master's in education, you can also teach at the same time. You have a, um, I forgot what they call it, it's an MAT degree, it is, hmm, I completely spaced out. Well, it's it's like yeah. a they give you an exemption or something like yes. that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Do. they do that in our state too while you're in the process. Yes. So you're working. I mean, with te- you know, you're working your forty hours. Where with teaching, it's more probably for for me, it was more like forty five to fifty hours a week. And then some teachers go overboard and they're working sixty, seventy, eighty hours a week, including their prep time for class. And I had to do my master's, which was one day a week. And, but my day would start, you know, I'd wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I'd have to be at school by seven to prepare. And then I would, school would be done at 3.15. I couldn't leave until 3.30. Then I'd have to drive an hour and 15 minutes to my college, Mm. stay there from, I think, 5.40 or like 5.30 to 9.30 at night for class and then drive the hour and 15 minutes back home. So I got, I was introduced to, you know, 14 to 16 hour days. And then when you're slowly introduced to that and you know you can do it, it's not that hard to do when you're trying to, you know, start your business, trying to do something else. So you slowly get acclimated to hard work. When, just sitting here thinking about this, um, were you able to take what you were doing at graduate school and apply it into your classroom? I would, I mean, you're going to be like, of course, Steve, duh, right? Um, but, uh, but I am going to go somewhere with this. So when you were learning in college um, and then you would come back and apply it into your teaching or business, whichever, um, was that something that happened for you? Yeah, okay. in grad school. Yeah. Uh, undergrad, not, <laughs> it's not that. No, but I get to. this. But here's my point. Here's where I was going with this. Are you able, because it seems like it, because you focus in on one thing. So when you're at this conference, for example, you learned a bunch of things, you dialed in whatever you were going to dial in. Have you been able to go back and apply it in your business already? And have you seen a result? And if so, where I'm thinking is that is something that people need to sharpen. Yeah, um, there I went away from the conference with a lot of things. Uh, the main thing 
I was actually working on it this morning. Perry and Kim Coughlin's their mm, uh, workflow. Yeah, I love it. Yes, their workflow. I've already ordered some of the pieces that I need. I mean, it's as simple as um, their tables. They added those, you know, those bed risers to them yep. to make it more ergonomic. I just got those yesterday, and I'm about to install them, and I'm going to completely rework my office space to make it more efficient. Um, and something that I've been putting off right before I went to the conference, uh, the prepper shipper I had, we separated ways, and I need to hire another one, and I've been putting it off. But I know it's 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 a bottleneck for my business right now. Yeah, you are the bottleneck, right? That's what I yes. always find that I'm I'm the guy who gets in the way of our business every single time, you know. Um and I have my son and my wife here and so it it it's funny. They will agree with that statement uh because, you know, I have way too much knowledge or I got to think about it, you know. And lately I've really worked at giving up some of that control, which is very hard when you have been a controller most of your life. That's what I was trained in. <laughs> and it's very hard, you know. It really is. Um how hard is it as a guy to accept opinions of other people like that. So when you hear Perry up on stage, you had to hang your head down in shame like me, like helping the UPS guy and stuff. I mean, it hurts to hear that stuff because I'm like, oh, man, I'm guilty. I just want to help people, but yet it does come at a cost. Do you get that way? It depends on the person. The At the conference, hmm. I went into it with a mindset of these are people that know way more than me. They're successful. I need to listen. I don't know everything, and they obviously have a much better way of doing it than me. So I'm going to just – I'll try it. So having an open mindset, is is that a skill set that you have, or did you have to work at it? I had to work at that. Okay. All I right. was definitely that kid that thought I knew everything, and it was my way, and – it, I mean, a lot of that is attributed to my wife. I didn't yeah, know I was going to say, is that being a parent, does that help? Did uh, you realize started, how little you know? <laughs> it started off in college where, I mean, my wife and I met when I think I was 19, and she, I didn't know how to communicate. I came you know, from a household that our communication was yelling or ignoring things, and she wasn't going to have any of that, so I had to learn. I mean, it's... What I think we've been together for 13 years. We just had our 10-year anniversary. Congrats. And, thank you. And it, it's been a slow process. Of, <coughs> and, I mean, we go to marriage classes. We go to all and parenting classes. And all these little classes teach you things like how to communicate with other people, how you should communicate with your spouse, your children, how to get your point across without being angry or without you know being condescending or anything like that. So so you've done that. And so you've been able to take and learn that and go back and apply it, in this case, in your relationship. Yes, definitely. How much time would you say that you put into learning and sharpening your skills? Because it sounds like a lot. Anybody else listening to this is going to hear this common thing because it's, it's probably the fourth or fifth time it seems to be prevalent in this discussion. How much time do you put into that? You ever think about it? Uh, a lot. Uh, I used to not be this way. I was the kid that... Uh, I don't know if it's considered cheating, but Cliff Notes. I, oh, would, yeah. I don't think I ever read a full book oh, in no. high school or college. And now I have become an avid reader slash uh, audiobook slash podcast listener. I, I listen to very little music now. It's almost 
all podcast or audio books. And I usually have a couple books sitting by my bed. Uh, right now I have uh, Tim Ferriss's Tools for Titans. Mm, yeah, it's a good one. Right next to my bed. And I've already read it, but I'm reading it the second time and picking the pieces that I was like, ooh, I really like that. Just Because they give so many suggestions on other good books or just – there's something I really want to buy, but I can't get myself to spend the money. It comes up over and over for your sleep. He was talking about a chili pad, and I looked them up. They're about a thousand bucks, and I was like, can't do that. But it, it sounds amazing. It makes your bed a specific temperature so you sleep better. Oh, wow. I definitely am writing that one down, too. Um, so, this approach. If you go at it that way, so either way, you know, if you have windshield time, you can be listening to audiobooks, or if you're reading, if you want to get away from this and, and do that. And then you go back and apply it into your business or your life or your health. That's a pattern, Alan. Yes. You have a very strong pattern. And that, you said, is the number one thing that's gotten you this discipline? Uh, yeah. it's And your wife. <laughs> well, she's number <laughs> yes. one, actually. She's number yes. one than you. Okay. Definitely. I think that's powerful. I think people can use that because um, this is a very lonely business and you do get a lot of single time. Oh, yes. And, and so rather than just sitting there watching YouTube, you know, videos or funny things or whatever, if you, you utilize that to help expand your knowledge, are you a are you a better husband because of it? I believe so. Uh, I, I say this over and over to my wife that the person that I was when we met, like, I don't like that person. Ooh. And I think it's going to be this way the rest of my life. If I look back five or 10 years, like the person that I was five years ago, I feel very different. And I'm sure I will be saying the same thing five years from now. And, but, I, but I hope that's the case. I hope that I feel like I'm on this progression of, I mean, not massive leaps and bounds, but just maybe incremental adjustments of how I do things or how I think. And that's a part that I, I struggle with. I struggle with mindset. I struggle with, um, I mean, it happens to me every month where I will get into a funk for a couple of days where I'm just like, uh, am I succeeding? Did I make a mistake? Should, should I even be doing this? And I, I get the self doubt starts to creep in and <laughs> I have to get hyped up on YouTube videos on, or I have to read something that uh, just kind of changes my mindset. What, what what's the cause of that? Have you have you been able to get to the to the cause of that? Because I, I you know I can truly relate. I mean it's a it's everything's going great and you're like something's going to go wrong. Something's going to go wrong. I think I'm only about halfway through that mindset book, and from I'm starting to see little pieces where I'm like. Ooh, that's how I was raised. That's how oh, I was taught to think think of this. And I'm de I definitely had a fixed mindset. And I don't think I'm completely in the growth yet, but I think I'm at least, you know, 50-50, 60-40, but it, at least I'm catching myself yeah. when, when I have those thoughts. I had a guy tell me once, Steve, you really have to work at being nice. And I was like, ooh, that hurt. I was like... I think I'm nice. I try to be nice, but it, it can slip out every so often that not so nice, right? Um, I don't think I don't think I have to work at it as much as I, I'm more cognizant of it because I realize that, you know, when I'm talking to Alan, Alan has feelings too. He's a human being. And, and I probably didn't pay attention to that in the past. So I'm mindful of that. 
But I, it doesn't seem like hard work when you just are nice to people and you want to help people. To me, that's not hard work. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I wouldn't see you as a mean person. No, well, it was just the way he, <laughs> and now this person kind of was a mean person. So I don't know if they were trying uh, to bring me down to their, you know, to help them get through whatever their challenges are. That's another thing that I've taken this approach is that I look at other people and I just feel bad for them because they must be going through things. And my wife sharpened me on that one. She's like, you know, when somebody cuts you off in traffic, she's like, what if their wife is in the hospital and he's racing to get there, you know, to see her before she, I'm like, Oh my gosh, thanks. Now I feel terrible, you know? And it's like, but that reminder that every other person around you is experiencing life too, because I get so self-centered. Do you deal with that uh, being self-centered from time to time? Yes, I do. And the exact same thing that you, your wife just told you, I need to work on. I get I get that way. I don't, it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah. Certain days are better. Certain days are worse. And I think at least the first step is the fact that you're even, you're just conscious of the, that you think that way. Right. You and, admit you have a problem, <laughs> right? That's yes. what they tell you, like an AA thing. <laughs> well, yes. What do you still struggle with? I mean, because you seem to build a pretty strong network of people. Um, I mean, would you credit that with a lot of getting you through? I mean, do they... Are they honest enough to say, you know, Alan, you're getting into funk, man. What's wrong with you? Yeah, I, what's, yeah, I, I have, I think Gay's group is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, feel, I feel like, very I've rare. Drank, feel like I've drank the Kool-Aid and I've gotten people to sign up for the group and they, and I'm like, I'm not getting the kickback, nothing. I was like, it will help your business. I, can I be completely honest about something? Please. <laughs> Steven, um, the way I found out about Gay's group was I heard her advertisement on your show and I was, I kind of blew it off. And then I heard the podcast with her and I was like, that might work. And then I heard the, you know, the two week free trial Mm -hmm. and I went in and I was like, huh, I felt like it was expensive for my, well, for my situation. It was like a newer business. And I I was like, I'll do the free trial. I'm going to read as much as I can. And then I'm just going to leave the group. Right. You're going to be a sponge and you're going to, yep. you know, I, I get I it. Do. I was going to read the file section. I was going to watch all the videos. And I, after two weeks came up and I was like, this group's pretty good. She's about to put out this list. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hang around till the list. And I did that. <laughs> I participated in the group. I got the list and the list is great. I had a really new account. So I was gated in a lot of the items, but I, I made that excuse of like, okay, well, until the list. And then after that, I mean, what was that, November yeah. of 2018? I never left the group. The well, group has too much value to leave. And I've made these relationships with so many people, and I feel close to a lot of the people in the group. And then after the conference, it's kind of niched down to where I've even have smaller, closer relationships with certain people or certain groups within it and that has helped so much now other people have had the same experience they go and there's like oh this is gated and so again it's a perspective issue is the glass half full is the glass empty right um when when you came up against that wall where a whole bunch of the stuff you know 80 percent of the list you can't buy you could sit there and say you know this it's 80% no good to me. This is a giant waste. Or you could sit there and say, hey, 20% of these things are great, and I'm going to focus on those 20%. That switch is where most people get to, 
and they choose one path or the other basically based on their mindset, right? We're back to your book, Mindset. It sounds like you pushed past it. Was there any one thing that pushed you past that? Because I get that question a lot, how to, how, and I like to try to help people push past that. Anything you can think of? There's, I feel in the group, there's a lot of good information that's actually tactile. You can apply it to your business, like this is how you do this. But they also put out a lot of, uh, Gary Ray is great at this. He's he's so good. He works a lot on mindset. Yeah. He struggles with a lot of things. You see this guy that's an extremely successful individual, and you you think, man, he's got it together. And then he's Mm -hmm. extremely transparent with his struggles, and you're just like, wow, if somebody like that is struggling with this and I'm struggling with this there's I mean I'm not that weird or I'm not that abnormal apparently a lot of people struggle with this same issue and he managed to do it I'm gonna give that a try so you could push past to to give me the chills Um, I agree with you uh, 100% is that that recognizing that you're not so different right there's you know um, my son is one degree away from Bill Gates now imagine that one degree away, he deals with somebody who's a direct report to Bill Gates. And that person says Bill's like one of the nicest normal guys out there. Now think about that. Billionaire doesn't have to lift a finger if he doesn't want to, right? But he has struggles just the same as you and I. And yet, I, I just, I think it's very powerful. I think recognizing that because a lot of people come up against that same exact point And they're looking at it and saying, hey, 80% of this stuff is no good to me. Um I would say, okay, the 20% is the positive, but I would say that 80% also should give you clues of things that you can do, and then you just got to find things that you can do, correct? Yes, definitely. Hmm. So it sounds like you've gotten through. You still fight some of these mental demons that we, uh, Steve agrees with you. He's got the same disease, whatever that is. Um, Maybe it's just being a guy, but it's the truth. I, I, I fight through these things. When you think of weaknesses that you still have that you'd like to sharpen um any that come to mind and then the approach you're going to take to deal with them even if it's in the future um i usually try to find some sort of podcast or book that can help me with it like we were talking about mindset and that has been a struggle with me for a long time and that's the reason i started reading that book it popped up in a podcast also i started doing CrossFit and when I get into something, I, I kind of go whole hog. I start listening, you know, I start reading books. I start watching YouTube. I start listening to podcasts and I found a podcast called chasing excellence with Ben Bergeron. And it, it is partly about CrossFit, but a lot of it is, um, just self-improvement. And he has read so many of the same books that I've read and almost every podcast, I write down a new book. And I just I see that similarity with a lot of successful people. They've read the same books. They have these similar habits. They have they've worked on their mindset. They've worked on a lot of things. And I'm just trying to attempt to do the same thing as these other successful people. And and when you take that to your business now, because I want to make sure we get into this business, um, that's pushes you through the ups and downs because there's are ups and downs every day in your business I assume just like mine yes and yeah I mean as long as you're growing in some way whether your business is growing you're growing as a parent a, a husband uh, whatever you 
when I see that growth, I feel better. And, and the growth isn't necessarily revenue or profit. It's health or relationship health. It's um, not getting angry when you're driving in traffic, when that person cuts you off because you're thinking, you know, they might have some problems in their life, right? Yeah. That's yes. growth. Okay. Because I don't, everybody's like, oh man, if I'm not selling the million, I listen to Alan, he's selling a million, I got to sell the million oh, too. definitely not selling a million. But that's not the <laughs> not way yet. you got to think about it, right? But I'll be there at some point. Yeah, how do you know you'll be there? That's interesting to hear. Um, probably. That's not an ego thing, right? No, it's, I, I, I see it. I met all these people that do it and it's not this magic formula. You put systems and processes in place and you find the right information and you just do it. Perry Coughlin calls it the math formula. He's like, Amazon to me is just a math formula. He's like, you know, I figured out, he's like, when I had some success, he said, it's like I saw the code, like in the matrix. I actually saw the code because then I realized all I have to do is buy a hundred pairs of shoes and I could do this, right? If I'm going to make $10 a pair and I want to make a thousand dollars, okay, that's a hundred pairs. That was it. That was the math. And it was like, huh, like the clouds open and he saw it. I mean, is that similar kind of thinking? Yes. I, uh, I have a bad habit of looking at my sales and my sales dictating my happiness. Oh. <laughs> so I, it's something I'm trying to break. And I don't know who brought it up, but it was in the group. And they said, my goal you obviously can't control your sales. You might have an amazing month or an amazing day, but you are not in control. You need to focus on something you can control. And what I can control is how much I spend. So I make a spend goal because that, that spend turns into sales. So that's there's a math. So that is controllable, right? So you know yes. if I'm going to spend, let's just say, $1,000, and I spend it on the products that are in this range, products that I've done the work on, that I've mastered because I put my head down and pushed my way through the 100%, not stopped after 2 or 3% saying, oh, this is worthless, because you realize that there's gold in that 10%. So that's actually, as I, my mind thinks this way, I'd be sitting there saying, okay, $1,000, uh, and I'd have parentheses, and then I would be like, uh, you know, 90%, you know, less 90%. I literally would go through in that math in my mind and program it out to me. That's a skill set. Where did you learn that? Was that grad school, high school, working in your grandmother's uh, antique store? Or are you talking about the numbers? Well, just the, just the ability to, to parse the numbers, to be able to come up with that mindset shift to say, huh, it's a spend thing because I can control it. Uh, I don't know. I mean – it, it's these bits and pieces, whether you watch, you know, I've gotten obviously so much from Gay's group, but I, I remember one of the things that sticks out in my head that she said is you're a buyer first. If nothing else matters past that, I mean, you can get better at your accounting, your bookkeeping, your sourcing. Well, I guess sourcing would be buying, but that is what you need to focus on. And that's what you need to become good at because that's what this business is. You have to be able to buy well. Because Amazon's the selling machine. That's their job. Yes. I don't advertise. Well, I mean, you can get into PPC and things like that, but I'm not promoting that platform. I'm not doing the background work. I'm not doing any of that. I literally send inventory to Amazon. They do the hardest part of the job, and I just have to make sure my end is good. 
Oh man, I love that title. Remember, you're a buyer first. That's gays, so make I sure. I love it. I, I just think it's so powerful because as you know, when you hear Andy get up there and talk about how strong, you know, Amazon's just getting started, right? You know, and they're so dominant in this e-commerce world, but yet it's so new. Um, we just had, uh, it's funny, we just had UPS here this week and we had UPS Freight here because we're doing, um, they have some very, very cool things that if you sell oversized products and they're heavy, message me or message Andy and we can tell you some of the things that they're doing. But anyway, he said that, I forget what year it was, Andy probably remember, he said they lost 25% of their business with the internet when, when e-commerce came out. Instantly, they lost 25% of their business. And I'm like, whoa. I mean, what would happen if you lost 25% of your business, like, overnight? Um, yeah, it's scary. I mean, it's really scary. But it was interesting to hear that, and, you know, we're just getting started. I mean, that's what's so exciting to me. That was the energy that I got, the vibe um, everybody realizes. Um, so you're here to say, Alan Walker, that RA is not dead, that if you're willing to do the work and put in your time and push through all the mundane, because you must look at a ton of mundane stuff to find that that secret ten percent. Yes, you, you yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of junk. How about this? Let me ask this question: What what are some of the things that you know now that you wish people were talking about uh, way back when you were really just getting started, either with eBay or Amazon? Um, I honestly wished that. I would have, uh, this is a, a term that I keep hearing Gary Ray say, I wish I would have paid the opportunity costs. I was very hmm. skeptical of paying for information because I felt I was cynical about it. I was like, I'm just going to get scammed. This isn't going to be worth it. Um, well, where does that come from? Why, why did you think that? It's probably that fixed mindset that, fixed mindset. that okay. I'm working on not trying to see the negative. I'm, I wish I naturally saw the positive, but I have to work at that. Uh, and I was so cheap when I was doing this that I was like, ooh, masterminds, that sounds good. And I found a couple that looked legitimate, but they were like 100 bucks a month. And when I was starting my business, that was a lot of money and I didn't want to do it. So what I did is I got on Instagram and I found all these people that I thought were way more successful than me and I invited them to a mastermind. And uh, three of them said yes. So we started doing these mastermind calls, and I learned a lot. This is when I was just doing eBay. They're the ones that convinced me to start Amazon. Hmm. So you put yourself out there, and yet you started this conversation on saying you're an introvert. Yes. Yes, I am. I can have extroverted tendencies. I can be very social, but that's not where I get my energy. But, but has that work. served you well? Is that back to this putting in the effort and the energy because you said it's not comfortable for you it doesn't give you energy so therefore it sucks your energy right it's a user not a giver so is that because you've had success i mean is that just the same as reading that book and applying something is it an energy effort issue yeah i'm seeing that relationships are very important i mean not just for the business but in real life i've that's something i've struggled with too i i have this hard Wire. I was a military kid, so we moved a lot. I went to 14 different schools, and nine, uh, 12 of them between K through 9, and I've always had a problem with 
keeping like a legitimate connection or a relationship with people because of that. I and I've thought I've reflected a lot about it and I didn't realize this till this past year. I, I know when it happened. It happened in third grade. Hmm. I had already or no, it was yes, it was third grade. Because I had to move to two school I went to two different schools the same year. And at the end and the second school I went to, I really liked it. I made good friends. I felt like that's where I belonged, and then at the end of the school year, I find out we're moving again, and that's where it clicked for me, where I was just like, why am I going to get close to people? I'm just going to move anyways, and that's something that I didn't realize that I did until my wife was like, why don't you keep in contact with friends from college or this or that? You're, you, when people aren't around, you forget about them, and I didn't realize that I did that. And so you work at that. Again, yes. This is I, the effort, and you got to put your head down, get through the 90% uncomfortable to find that 10%. Now, it's not every person you meet, right? It's, it's, you got to find that jewel, same kind of concept. Yeah. Oh, dude, this I is found, pretty deep. You're too I young found, to be this deep. Uh, it's just, I guess, you read some books. Well, being this this reflective, I mean, you know, some again, somebody who's negative is listening to this saying, "Oh my God, these guys are depressing." Listen, everything's wrong in their life. Or you could sit there and say, "Hey, this is awesome. These guys have figured out that they've got some challenges in their life, and they're addressing them." Yes, that's you're not mindset. You're not stuck. You're not stuck being that person. If you don't like that person, or you don't like this tendency you have, you can change it. It's not going to change overnight. And you have to work on it a lot, but I use a phrase like this. I say, make the next right decision, right? So, I mean, how many wrong decisions have you made? I got buckets Plenty. of them, right? <laughs> yes. But if I start making, and this happens more in my life, I start making right decisions, and then I make another one, and I make another one. Then all of a sudden, I start to see uh, a habit, right? And then that's mm-hmm. a good habit. And then over time, good habits become you know, just really easy to deal with. And so to me, that's, that's where you start. So is that, I mean, we got to close out and I mean, I want to, I want to make sure I get your contact. So if somebody has some follow-up questions, and I think this is a great kind of, uh, thought process that a whole bunch of people need to take. And so, you know, either reach out to Alan or myself, because I'm going through it too. I'm always going through this, trying to sharpen. Um, but is that, is that really the advice you would give somebody, um, to push past stuck because that's the goal of the podcast is to help people get past stuck. And you've been yeah. stuck. Steve's been stuck. I, I'm constantly stuck. And you just have to figure out something that works. Maybe – I know for me, the reason I never read books growing up is you were assigned a lot of um, fiction books. And it didn't click until I was in my mid-20s that it's not that I don't like to read. I just don't like fiction. And that's why this is easy. Well, not easy. It's easier for me is to read nonfiction books. And a lot of these nonfiction books give you a lot of applicable information, whether it's in, with relationships or reflection or mindset. or I mean, there's books about everything. And if you don't like reading books, audiobooks. Hmm. Audible <laughs> has really cheap books. It's like, what, 16, 17 bucks a month. You get a credit and it reads it to you. Just do it every day for 15 minutes. Or if you've got a long drive, 
something like that. And if you don't like that, if you like little clips, there's tons of stuff on YouTube, except only one caveat of YouTube. Every single person can post on YouTube, and you have to be able to sift through the junk and be able to actually find what's helpful. Does the junk mess you up? It can. Okay. Um, I Getting into Amazon and eBay, I watched a lot of YouTube and things like that, and I... And when you're new, you don't know what is good information and what is not. I did gravitate towards a handful of things, and looking back now, I can see that it's a lot of junk. I would say 90, 95% of it. And, and it had an influence on you. You recognize it had a small influence, and eventually you were break free of it. Yes, it did. Okay. Dude, um... I'm I'm very excited. I'm I'm very excited. Uh, I can't wait. I'm ordering an Audible mindset right as soon as we're off the call. Uh, I'm I'm absolutely looking forward to it. I love the fixed versus growth. I think that that's a perfect way to look at it. Again, oh Alan, eighty percent of that stuff's no good. Or, hey, twenty percent of this stuff is liquid gold. Man, this is awesome, right? I mean, yeah. think about that. That coal miner, not the coal miner, the gold miner who had to pick through how many miles just to get to that dinky little vein of gold. And then they had the success, right? But they had to go through miles of granite or whatever, I don't know, whatever stone that they had to get through. So I think this is really powerful. If somebody has a follow-up question, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Probably Facebook. Okay. And it's Alan Walker. And my Alan is spelled A-L-L-E-N. Alan Walker. I'm going to put that link there. Man, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, I'm very excited for you um, because I know you're really just getting started and really turning, you're, you're, you're turning out volume, um, and it sounds like it's getting easier. And I just think that that's a flywheel that's just going to get easier and easier the more you address it, the more you keep sharpening the pencil, as I like to describe it. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited for you. I just um, I know you're just getting started. Thank you, Steve. It's been awesome getting to talk to you. I appreciate it. I wish you nothing but success. Take care. You too. Man, what a great guy. Um, so smart and, again, so so self-aware at that age. Um, and I think that's one thing I think I'm going to have a discussion with my boys about that, making sure that they're self-aware. Take an inward look and then work on yourself and know that 99% of it's perfect. Work on that little 1%, little small incremental steps, um, incremental adjustments. That's what he called it. And I just think that's so, so powerful. So hope you got something from that. I know I did, and I'm a much richer person for it. EcommerceMomentum.com, EcommerceMomentum.com. Thanks for listening to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.